This past weekend, the elders had their annual elder retreat. On Friday night, we prayed for you. We prayed through the seven churches in Revelation as a prayer guide. And on Saturday, we discussed uh, where we're at as a church and where we're going. The elders really do love you, and they are here to uh, care for you and to shepherd you. And that's one of the reasons why we encourage you to become a member at Evanston Bible Fellowship, not just so you can contribute, but also that, so that you can uh, receive care, so we can know who you are and that you're part of the body. We've had um, people throughout the years, uh, maybe they're staying here for a year, they'll join in. Uh, students, we have several students who are members. It's a great opportunity, you only have one service, nothing's afterwards, you can just walk across the street. I encourage you strongly, even if you don't want to join right now and you want to learn more about the church, go to that, that class. It's, it's not going to take up your day, it'll be an hour and a half maybe, and you can just, just learn more about our church and decide whether you want to uh, be a part of us. Before we uh, dive into James, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, here we are. We are here in this world filled with landslides that kill people, terrorists that kill people, and a variety of other of tragedies that surround us. Here we are. We can give our commentary and our opinions on many things that are happening around the world. We can tweet, post, and get a variety of um, attitude and opinions on a variety of things. But Lord, here we are. And I know that you want to deal with us as individuals and as a body of Christ. And too many times, Lord, we want to be involved with, in the middle of, talking about things sometimes that you don't want to talk about because you want to deal with our hearts. So, Lord, here we are in a broken world, a broken world that is, uh, seems at times um, to hardly ever see glimpses of light. But we see you, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning our lives. So here we are. Deal with us as individuals. Deal with us as a church. You see the individual in here, or the two, or the three, or the four, or all of us that you need to deal with. I just ask you to deal with us this morning. If repentance is needed, may repentance happen. If healing is needed, may healing come. But Lord, here we are. We need to show up to show up. We're showing up to meet with you and to hear from you through your word. And we ask that you would speak now. In Christ's name. Amen. We're in the book of James. If you want to turn to James chapter 4, we want to let God's word work in our lives and work in the church. So I want you to hear the word now so that you can respond and do it. So I'm going to read James 4, 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and stand. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, 
because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it says, no purpose, that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You may be seated. War is terrible. As we have seen recently, millions of refugees have lost everything as they have fled war zones. Some of the past wars, you see uh, some countries have high populations of young people because the older ones have been killed through war. People groups have come close to extinction due to the horrors of war. Even locally, some of the violence in the streets has been called gang warfare. Strife, injuries, and death. War is terrible. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the horrors of war, but our passage today describes some of our personal conflicts with the language of war. It's described as a war within ourselves, a war with others whom we murder, and a war with God whom we consider the enemy. You can be so focused on yourself and your own desires that you can create war with other people and war with God. And some of you are going to enter into some of these conflicts over the next week for the Thanksgiving break as you go home for Christmas. It's something about the holidays that tend to bring out the worst in other people, not ourselves, of course. I want you to think about some of your past holiday conflicts with your family and friends. And how would you explain the tensions and the sniping and the, and the fighting? The Bible uses the language to describe it of violence. Also think about your holidays as you get out of your routines and you go home or wherever you're going and you're out of your routines that are normal and there tends to be more of a temptation and a struggle and often a giving in to sin. The Bible describes that as embracing the world as your friend and treating God as your enemy. 
So not only do the holidays hold the possibility of fighting intentions with others, but they also hold the possibilities of falling into sin. So you would think that you would come back from the break all refreshed, but many of us come back from the break all beat up as you blew it with others and as you blew it with God. And I think what we need is kind of an appropriate war strategy, not just for the break, but a strategy for all of life, a strategy that deals with sin, that serves others, and that glorifies God. And as we walk through this passage this morning, we're going to see the details of the war within, the war with others, the war with God, and a war room strategy. The passage is showing us a war within, a war with others, a war with God, and kind of like a war room strategy to walk with him. So let's go ahead and start with the war within. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James has been addressing this church as they have a variety of conflicts. And the previous passage spoke of wisdom from hell leading to all types of divisions and vile practices. Now, the flip side is wisdom from heaven, which is promoting peace. But in the situations where peace is lacking and divisions reign, then he asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And the answer he gives is that your sinful passions are at war within you. So the quarrels and the fights that you see are the symptom of something deeper. The root cause of outer conflict comes from these unchecked desires that are at war within you. These desires and passions are demanding and fighting to be released. Look at the example in verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. (laughs) It's pretty strong language. <laughs> I don't think it's talking about little, literal murder there. It's probably more metaphorical language. Remember when Jesus connected murder with anger, saying that they both were liable to judgment? That's probably the way murder is used here as kind of this explosive anger. Someone goes off on another person because of their sinful desires. Look at the rest of the verse for a further explanation. Verse 2 again. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Here we see this coveting as this unfulfilled desire that leads to fights and quarrels. So whether you have anger or lust or greed or pride or coveting, there is this passions that are warring within us. That is the root cause of our quarrels. One of my favorite, favorite authors is uh, Counselor David Powelson. And he says, the simplest way to discover why a person does or says or thinks or feels certain things is to ask them, what do you want? So I ask you, what do you want? And you may say, you know, I want love. I want peace. I want recognition. I want respect. I want success. I want good looks. I want to make some good grades. I want to have fun. I want to have a a great job. And, And I would say to you, 
that none of these desires that you have within you that I just listed are necessarily bad. It's okay to want to be loved. It's okay to have this desire to get along with other people. None of them are necessarily bad. But here's where the war takes place. The war takes place inside of you between uh, your flesh and the spirit when you're wanting. Are you with me? It's when you're wanting turns into demanding. That's where you'll see the conflict start to take place, especially within when you're wanting turns into demanding. And you can see that once again in verse 2. Did you see it? It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. (laughs) You want something and you can't obtain it, so you fight and quarrel. These are, we're seeing here the wants are turning into demands. And this is what it looks like practically in everyday life. You say, okay, look, I demand, I demand that you love me. And if you don't love me, I'm going to make you feel guilty for not loving me. I demand recognition. And if you, if you don't give me recognition, I'm going to create, how about this? I'm going to create some crisis and some drama so you'll have to pay attention to me. And, and in my house with me, even, even yesterday with my house, where, you know, I, I, want, I want to have peace in my house. Is that too much to ask? I want peace. But yesterday, I was demanding peace. And when peace was not existing in my house, some of my kids felt my wrath as my wants turned into demands. Some of you may say, you know what, I, I, I demand to look good. And if your weight loss is better than my weight loss, then I'm going to find some way to talk bad about you. You see how this works? We have wants and we turn them into demands. And what you'll find happening is demands bring down churches through jealousies and selfish ambition. Demands destroy marriages Demands destroy uh, relationships and create a variety of conflicts at work. But let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it immediate. I'm trying to help you out. Some of you are about to go away uh, for the holidays. You'll be somewhere or Thanksgiving break with maybe friends and family. So when you see conflicts, just make them stop and say, stop. Okay, let's stop. You two who are fighting, what do you want? And ask them, What is a want that you've now turned into a demand? I dare you to do that. See how it goes. (laughs) But do it in yourself. Like, what is it I want that now I am demanding? I demand to watch Netflix undisturbed. I, I demand for my family to respect me. You see? Be careful. When you see the conflicts coming, where's the want that you've turned and to demand, and chances are when, you, when that starts to happen, you'll see the war with others. Hey, jump down to verse 11 and 12. Look, look at some more of the war with others. Look at it. James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
Now here you see that the wants have turned into demands, have turned into the war within, and now it's a war with others, and it's slander. It's speaking evil against uh, another person. And James says that when you, you slander another, get this, you're acting like a judge. When you call someone a loser or you tell someone behind their back or to someone else that they're a loser, then you are making a judgment. In addition, the Bible says you are judging the law. Because God gave this law that says, love your neighbor as yourself. But when you slander someone else, you're basically saying, you know what? That law does not apply to me. In fact, I'm going to pronounce judgment upon that law because I am now God. I have the authority to say, I can do what I want to do. But the Bible says there is only one lawgiver and judge. So when you start to lose the war within, where your wants become demands, you start to lash out at other people and assume that the word of God does not apply to you so you can treat other people the way you want to treat them. Back to all the holiday fun you're about to have this week. You're driving home. It's probably a good idea to leave on Wednesday around 5, by the way. So you're driving home, you're getting on the freeway, and you're sitting there for about four hours. And while you're waiting just to get out of Chicago, you are angry. And you start to scream at other drivers. And maybe you start to yell a little bit at the people in your car. Afterwards, I ask you, why why are you so angry? What's going on inside? And if you were able to, um, you know, after the holidays, put your finger on it, the chances are you probably are angry because you want to be given priority over others. In fact, they should create a lane on the freeway just for you. And if you go to the airport and you're waiting in these long lines, you're probably thinking they should create a line just for me. Because you want to be given priority over others. So you've turned something that is good, I want to get home, into a demand, and these demands cause you to lash out. And when you're lashing out, you're playing God. Because you want things your way. So the war within has turned now to a war with others. But what you really need to see at the core, all of your wars within and with others really are a war with God. Watch how the text shifts here to talk about a larger problem we have, and that's a problem of a war with God. Go back to verse 2, James 4, verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Keep in mind that James is addressing believers here, and he's calling out believers, believers who go to God in prayer but pray with wrong motives. You always assume that if you're doing something spiritual and praying, that you're always praying with the right motives. Not the case. You can pray with wrong motives. I could be like, God, please grow this church. Make it so big. Is it for the glory of God, or do I just want to be seen as successful? For those of you who are married, you can pray, God, please change my spouse. But no prayer for yourself. You see, many times we can come to God with these prayers and we're being all spiritual, but God's like, you know, I'm going to cut through your motives 
And in fact, I am going to deny your request. And so James is going to get right at the heart here. Look what he he says in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people. Amen. Isn't that great? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those are some strong words that he's addressing to believers. That this conflict they're having inside and they're warring with others is war with God. And he uses these, these two ways to describe what's going on. And one of them is the words of adultery. That's strong language. If you, if you read the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel are sometimes portrayed in the Old Testament of cheating on God and, and running around after idols or other gods. You can read the book of Hosea to see that. They are portrayed as the unfaithful spouse or as the prostitute. The, uh, one of the lines that you'll notice today, or maybe over the last several weeks, one of the lines from one of our new worship songs, our 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 worship team writes a lot of their songs. And one of the uh, lines goes something like this. Anchor me, tether my harlot heart, please be my gravity. Now, let me just let you know the process of how these songs are written. They they get together. Sometimes they go on the retreat. They write these songs. And this is a song. They wrote several songs out of the book of James. And the worship leader, uh, Andy's a great guy. So he brings the songs to me. And we kind of go through it theologically. And we say, okay, is this theologically correct? Can we say this? And so with this song, he's like, he's like can, we, is, can we say that word, harlot, in a worship song? Is it okay to say harlot? And James would say, say it, say it. (laughs) And so we sing it, we sing it. James is fine. He would have no problem calling us adulterous people if we have strayed from the Lord. Now, another image uh, of the conflict, did you see it there, is friendship with the world. This is not a casual acquaintance, but this is a BFF with the world apart from God. And those who are friends with the world have placed themselves as an enemy of God. In this church, all they clearly have been doing this by showing partiality, saying bad things about each other, neglecting the poor, expressing envy and selfish ambition. They have quarrels arising from unchecked passions. He's addressing a church of believers, Even believers can fall into the category of adulterers and enemies when they stray from God. But true believers will not stay there. And if you want to raise your hand and ask the question, how long can a true believer stray from God? How long can a true believer have friendship with the world? How long can a true believer be engaging in adultery with the world? How long can that last? That's not a good question. If you are asking that question for yourself, that's a very scary place to be. You never want to ask, how long can I keep on sinning and consider myself a believer? You don't want to be there. James doesn't say that's fine. And so he brings us to this place where we need to break out. And this brings us to the the war room. 
the war room or the war room strategy of, of not to live this way. There was a movie out, it was a Christian movie of sorts, this, this fall called War Room. And in the movie, the wife was having uh, marital problems, parenting problems, and it was her sin who was a big part of it. And the idea is that she was being mentored by an older woman who told her that she has to do war. Not with her husband, not with her, her daughter, but with sin and Satan through prayer, the word of God, and personal repentance. So the movie's called War Room because she goes to her closet, clears all the junk out of her closet, and she just spends time in there praying in the word and repentance. It's kind of her war room. And what follows in the passage is, is, is a type of a war room strategy to fight the good fight of faith. So let's look at this war room strategy. If we see the war within, if we see a war with others and a war with God, what's this kind of war room strategy to break out? For starters, you need to know something about the character of God. God is a jealous God. Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This is a summary concept of an Old Testament scripture that portrays God as a jealous God. And we understand jealousy in human terms, like, uh, ladies, if your husband uh, tells you that he's reconnected with an old girlfriend on Facebook and they're going to start dating again, you are not cool with that, right? You understand that, right? So you take God, this this enormously you multiply that, you add complete holiness and righteousness of God, and you uh, can start to understand his jealousy when we stray. You see, when we enter a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, he puts his spirit in us. And then if we want to run around on him, God is not cool with that. So this part of our war room strategy is just to know that if you're off straying into sin and warring with others, God is not cool with that. He is a jealous God, and if you're his child, he will come after you. If you are straying and there is no problems, there's no discipline, then I I fear for you. Because if a believer is straying, there should be some brokenness of, of conscience. There should be some difficulties and some discipline of life that's wrapped up with the jealousies of God. But the problem is, is that when you are straying, and I tell you that God's jealous, it, it should put some fear in you. But I also think for some of you, it puts despair. Because you think, okay, I know God's jealous, but I just can't quit my sin. I know he's jealous, but I keep acting out. I know he's jealous, but I, I just can't see conquering lust or anger or coveting. I know he's jealous, but I just, you, you just despair. That's why you need to have part of this war room strategy, not only the jealousy of God, but he also gives you grace. I love this line. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Underline it, highlight it, circle it. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. His jealousy is not out to crush you because grace is present as well. God gives you grace and strength to say no to sin, to follow in his ways. But he doesn't give grace to the proud. He gives it to the humble who want to realize, hey, I'm walking in the ways of the world. 
I need help. I want to change. God, I need your grace. So part of the war room strategy, understand God is a jealous God. He doesn't let you play around in sin. He's coming after you. But he gives you grace to change. But then you have to act on it. You actually have to do something. And here's part of the war room strategy. It continues, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. <laughs> when you're straying from God, you can use all the psychological terms that you want, but when you're straying from God, you are submitting to the devil and resisting God. You are submitting to the authority of the devil and resisting the authority of God. And in order to reverse the course, you have to submit to God and resist the devil. I know some of you may mock me, you may make fun of me, make fun of the Bible. When you are straying from God, you are actually moving toward the devil. You're submitting to him and to his ways. You are in line with his principles, in line with his character. But if you want to move away, it's almost that's repentance. You're turning around and you're going this way. You're now resisting the devil and you're submitting yourself to God. As the Bible says in the next verse, you are drawing near to God. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Fellowship was broken when you turned to the ways of the world and the devil, but now is the time to draw near to God. You can think about the prodigal. He's running in the ways of the world, the ways of Satan, turns around and he returns home to the Father. And some of you may be the ones right now who have strayed, who have run away from God. And you may be going this way and think, you know what, I'm living my life, I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm creating my own philosophies. But the reality is, if you call yourself a believer, you are following the ways of the devil and you're in line with his authority. And what you need to do is resist him and turn back and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And part of this turning around is going to entail repentance. Uh, look at the way James ex- explains this repentance. Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This cleansing of hands and purifying hearts, this is Old Testament language used among the priests before drawing near to God. They needed to repent of their external behavior, and they needed to repent of their internal behavior depicted by their their hearts. So you have their hands external and their hearts internal. So that's saying that we need to repent not only of what we have done with our hands, but our internal double-mindedness and waffling between the ways of the world and the ways of God. And part of this repentance is weeping and mourning. It's that, it's that graphic language of repentance after straying from God. And it's okay after uh, of, of going one direction and realizing your sins, okay to enter a season of, of mourning, uh, of repentance, and turning back. When, when I first became a, a Christian at 19, uh, I, I heard the gospel. Jesus died for me, for my sin. He died for a sexually immoral man like myself on the cross where the wrath of God was on him instead of me. He was buried and he rose again. And the call was, Jason, repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember that time 
at 19, running out of that, hearing that message into the dark, sitting on this porch of this cabin and, and just crying, like heaving, like what is going on? This deep repentance was happening with inside of me as I saw all my sin and its ugliness and I was coming to Christ for grace and forgiveness. But even as a believer, you can still have those uh, times where you are grieved over your sin. And I fear that what's lacking uh, among many of us today, even sometimes in my own life, is there is not enough wailing and mourning and grief over my sin. It's like I'm walking in the ways of the devil. I'm kind of cool with it. I'm like, oh, maybe I should go back to God. I'm not so sure which way I'm going to go. Rather than I'm walking in the ways of the devil and submitting to his ways, this is terrible. Where is this brokenness and this grief within me that may produce tears and wailing and mourning where there is repentance? I am now going to resist him and turn back to God, and he will lift me up. He will forgive you. He will give you grace, and he will restore you. That's that kind of that, that war room strategy. You see, God, he is holy. He is a jealous God, and yet he does not crush you. Believer need to know this. He'll give you much grace to obey and so if you have been straying in the ways of the world and the ways of the devil, why don't you just go ahead and call it for what it is. Call it for what it is. And resist the devil. Repent, broken, and draw near to God. Hey, over this next week, and when you go on for Christmas, this is what I want you to think about in your mind, Okay. I want you to kind of use this next week, and if you go home over the holidays, uh, use it as kind of like a pilot project for the rest of your life. Kind of like a, a testing ground to work on your, your walk with the Lord. And, and you know what's weird? You know, if, if any of you became a Christian after you moved out of, of the home like I did at 19, I find myself when I go back home to get some of my same routines and some of the same attitudes I used to have toward my parents when I was young. I'm like, what's going on? What is going on? I don't know what what that is. And so there's some testing here, this this pilot project. You go home, you see what's going on, and, and ask yourself, what do I want? What am I demanding? What is it you want? What, what are you demanding? That if you don't get it, you're going to lash out. What, what do you want? What are you demanding? Back to one of my favorite authors, Pallison, says this, you know, he says, if you demand to be happy, you will receive misery. If you demand to be loved, you will receive rejection. If you demand significance, you'll receive futility. If you demand control, you'll receive chaos. And if you demand reputation, you'll receive humiliation. But we can keep these desires and these wants within us in check. We can turn to God, draw near to him, seek him, receive grace and mercy and wisdom. And even in this world, from time to time, there will be moments of happiness, meaning, and love. And that's what we want. But we can't turn them into demands. And that's why I am praying for you over this next week, this next month, the rest of your life, to have these desires within you 
in a proper perspective and relationship with God where your heart's affection is set on him and him alone to the one who gives you more grace. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would help us because we are demanding people. I'm a demanding person. So much so that I want to play God with my circumstances and I want to play God over other people and make them do what I want them to do and make the circumstances turn out the way I want them to turn out. And when they don't, I lash out. And I just ask you to forgive me for lashing out at other people. Forgive me for turning to a life of idolatry. And I pray for my, for my brothers and sisters. I pray for anyone here, Lord, if they have strayed so far, they have strayed so far and think that they are lost and they fear that they are lost, may they let them know, Lord, that they can come home. They can turn away from submitting to the devil and his ways. They can turn back with repentance to you, God of grace, God of mercy, God of forgiveness. Lord, use us as instruments of your grace in the coming weeks that we can display Christ-like lives in the midst of wars within and wars with others. May we interject your grace and your mercy and your love so we can be truly instruments of peace that brings the peace of Christ to others. We ask this in your name. Amen.